Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. series we looked at turning 18 we said we were coming of age it's 2018 we we turned the page on the last year and we got into to this year we said that it's a year to grow up you know what I mean you can you can be of age be 18 and be uh quote-unquote shacked up for 16 years but then you can come of age in one year and say, I'm now going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. Our family is going to serve God. We are going to take the plunge and get married. We are going to take it to new levels of commitment. That's called coming of age. And it doesn't matter how old you are, but we've got to grow up and become men and women of faith, real faith, real strength, really uh, adhering to the word of God and the spirit of God. In Ephesians 4.14, we looked at this in week number one, says we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. A growing up, not thrown to and fro. And, and uh, David and Sandra, please forgive me, but it's just so fresh in my heart that I'm going to just be sharing about you guys. I have a feeling as we go on today. But when we first started talking about marriage, you, you should have seen kind of the fear on, on Sandra's eyes. David's ready. The Spirit of God spoke to him. They're ready to move forward. And honestly, what she would share with me is that, hey, if it ain't broke... <laughs> Why should we fix it? It's been 16 years. We're happy. He's happy. I'm happy. Like, I don't want to mess anything up. There's this, this fear. And if you listen to the scripture, it said, you can be thrown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What that is, is 16 years of letting the world tell you what a relationship should look like. And letting the world tell you that there's a cap on what you can experience and, and what your relationship could be like. So just make the best of what you can in this little box. And God says, no, grow up. I've got something more for you. And in one year, I believe that you've experienced more and at least a glimpse of what God has ahead of you than you could in all the years of the past. We got to grow up, though. Last week, in week number two, we focused on the men, right? We had this coming-of-age message last week called Man to Man, and we talked about um, God speaking to us, men speaking to each other, the things that God has to do in our lives and wants to do in our lives and I'm sure that you may have guessed it, that this week we're going to be shifting our focus onto the women. Amen? Amen? So the title of the message this morning is Her Story. Like history, but it's her story. The subtitle is What Has Happened to Her? What Has Happened to Her? 
The fact that it's what has happened to her, it's, it's about the past, which makes it actual history. The fact that it's her means that it's about the women this morning. Uh, I want to just pray over the service. I want to pray over the women who are here. I want to pray over uh, uh, just all of us. Lord, we thank you for another ha uh, uh, opportunity to be in your house, Lord. We thank you that you're moving, that you're alive and well, Lord God. We thank you that even when we don't see your hand, we know that it's there holding us up, Lord, and directing and guiding us, Lord. We thank you that your word reminds us that you go before us, Lord, uh, that you're always with us, that you are actually for us, Lord, for our benefit and for our blessing, Lord, that if we can overcome the fears, Lord, to take the steps that need to be taken with you, Lord God, that we can enter into and walk into some amazing things in this life, Lord, that you have uh, prepared for us, Lord. This morning, as we focus on your daughters, Lord, each and every one of them here in this place, Lord God, I pray that you would uh, make their hearts soft, Lord God, that you would open their minds, that you would open their ears, Lord, that you would open their eyes to be able to see what it is that you have for them, Lord God. I ask that you would help the men who are here in this place, Lord, uh, to do what you've called us to do, Lord that they could be full, that they could be encouraged, Lord, that they would be challenged this morning, Lord God. Have your way over me, Lord, over my words. Let them be your words, Lord God. Speak to your people here in this place. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So I think that we often neglect her story, and I also think that her story is valuable. If I look at my life, I've had a pretty interesting life. I've had a very exciting salvation. Uh, but honestly, I would much rather read a story about my wife's life. I would much rather go to watch a movie about my wife's life than my life. Her story is deep in areas where mine is superficial. Her story is thoughtful and considerate uh, in areas where mine is often careless and blind. Her story is filled with reality and relationship and love in areas where mine is honestly built a lot on rhyme and reason and uh, thought processes. Very different stories that are being told as we live out our lives. This Friday night, Mary and I went to uh, a movie. We saw The Greatest Showman. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go see it about P.T. Barnum and how the circus started and, and all these things. Uh, great, great movie. Uh, it shows his whole life, though. If you watch this movie, it starts at childhood and what happens to his parents and how he grows up and this kind of coming-of-age story. Then it talks about um, his idea that he has for what he wants to do and how he wants to do it the successes and the failures. It goes through all these things. Watching all this stuff kind of become a reality in his life. He's definitely the star of the show. He's the greatest showman. But the reality is there's also three other stories about three other men that are kind of weaved into this particular movie about uh, P.T. Barnum. One of the other men is his father-in-law, so he keeps coming in and out of the movie and, and kind of has a strong presence. Uh, the other one is a business partner of his that, you know, kind of comes along and helps him with this circus and helps him with his ideas and helps him reach people that he could not have been able to reach if it wasn't for this particular business partner that he had. And the last one was about a male uh, journalist, this man that's writing the stories about the circus and writing the stories about what he's doing and how he's doing it, so on and so forth. But as I watched the movie 
and then reflected on the movie and then thought about what I was going to be sharing with you guys uh, this morning, I think the movie is actually about a bunch of her stories that are weaved into the movie, but very, very easy to miss. You could watch the whole movie and not really recognize any of her stories that are within it. He has a wife in this movie, and she's very special. She's a very deep, deep character, but it's very subtle because the focus is all on P.T. Barnum. He's the greatest showman, but this woman is, is, uh, is wonderful, actually, in this movie. Also, the mother-in-law. She speaks a couple words in the beginning of the movie, and then she's silent for the rest of the movie, but if you're paying attention, she wants to say so much. I don't know about you, but have you ever met a woman that doesn't say much, but you can tell there's a lot inside of her, there's a lot that she would like to get out? That's how his mother-in-law is in this particular movie. And then he has this other woman uh, in the movie, P.T. Barnum does, like we see in a lot of movies. He's got this special wife, but then there's this other woman in the movie who's kind of an important character, and she tells her whole life story in 15 seconds. Like, all this stuff is going on in that one particular scene. She just kind of says, this is who I am. This is where I came from. This is what I've been through. Literally in 15 seconds. But if you listen to it, you feel like you knew her your whole life. Her story was a great story within this movie. And in the last one, there was this young uh, black girl in the movie. And a lot is going on. But there's this scene where she's crying. And... As she's crying, you can feel, literally feel her pain and you want to cry with her. Like as if she was real and you've had this experience with her and you know what she's going through and you know how she feels. But honestly, all of these her stories are side stories in the movie. You're waiting for P.T. Barnum to get back on the scene. You're waiting for the father-in-law the next time he's going to come in. You're waiting to see what the journalist is going to write. And that's where uh, the world would have our focus to be. And that's where the uh, director would have our focus to be. But her stories are important. Amen? So her stories are often told within his stories. <laughs> Even though they're harder to find, they're amazing stories and they're worth looking for. In Matthew 13, 44, the Bible says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. This morning, we're going to look at four treasures within the woman that have been hidden, but they need to be searched out. They're treasures. They need to be found. They have great worth and great value. If there's one thing that I'm 100% sure of this morning, it's that these four areas are only scratching the surface of all that a woman is. Um, but I think it'll help a lot of women this morning who are here. Last week, I asked the women to stay engaged as we looked at the men and we focused on the men. I'm going to ask the same thing of the men this morning. Stay engaged as we talk about these women and as we focus on these women. I think it'll help all of us to love the women in our lives just a little bit better. We all have grandmothers, we have mothers, we have wives, we have daughters, and I think we really need the Lord's help to help us see them uh, in a world where her stories are often undervalued. Last week when we talked about the men, I said that we live in a world where affirmation is purposely withheld from men. Instead of affirming them and encouraging them and calling them out, leading them into destiny, 
Those things are withheld from men. This week, as we look at the women, I want to say that we live in a world where her story is trying to be erased. Literally, the story of the woman is trying to be erased. It's trying to be so deeply hidden within his story that you don't even recognize it. You don't even see it, and you definitely don't value it. The only thing scarier than her story being erased is her rewriting her story as fiction instead of fact. Let me say that again. The only thing worse than her story being erased is her rewriting her story as fiction instead of fact because she's so afraid of her story being lost and her story being forgotten that she's willing to rewrite it any way that she can. Genesis 3.16, in the beginning it's talking about when the Lord created her. It says in Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So because of the curse of sin, God says to the woman, listen, you're going to have sorrow and you're going to have pain. Ladies, if you're here, say amen if you've had sorrow, if you've had pain. Amen. <laughs> so the word is true. <laughs> but the key is that he says your desire will be for your husband. When God says this to Eve, he's talking about her desire for headship, her desire for authority. Uh, and as we look at it this morning, in many ways, it's about her, her desire for acknowledgement and value and worth. He says, look, you're going to have a hard life. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow. And you are going to want what it is that has been given to the man. You're going to want his story to be more about your story or her story. You're going to want that authority. You're going to want that headship. You're going to want that acknowledgement. You're going to want to be told about your worth and about your value. We know this going in. We know it from the beginning of the word. But if a woman rewrites her story in pursuit of those things, if she's pursuing it from the world she lives in, if she's pursuing it from the men that she's surrounded by, if she's pursuing it from the other women that she's surrounded by, it becomes a fictional story and it never provides what it is she's looking for. God tells her, you're going to want this. But he doesn't tell her how she should go about trying to find it necessarily. If she, instead of going to the world and going to men and going to other women looking for this value and looking for this acknowledgement and looking for this authority, if she will go to the one who's actually writing her story and ask him, man, he'll tell her some wonderful things. The treasure's hidden. He knows where it is. If you seek him, he'll show you why you were created who you were created to be, and allow you to feel all the things that you were supposed to feel. And many of the women I believe this morning, if you're honest, would say that some of the feelings that you feel and some of the places that you reside on a consistent basis, you know that that's not what God wants you to feel. And you know that that's not where God wants you to reside. But you're rewriting your own story. So the four areas we're going to look at today are her being secluded, her being seen, her being surrendered, and her being strong. So the first one, secluded. To be secluded is to be separated. Her story often unfolds somewhere else. Back to the movie that we were watching, um, 
this P.T. Barnum and this, and this circus, that's the main event. That's the main location. They've got a building. Later on, they have a tent. All this stuff is happening. But all of the her stories are happening somewhere else. They're not on the big stage. They're not in the main event. They're not in the place where everybody's looking. Somewhere off to the side in another location, secluded, is where her story is taking place. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. That's the story. When I think about Eve, I think that her story is hidden, and it's one of the most amazing stories you could ever find. What do we really know about Eve? Honestly, if you read the Bible, you really only know two things about Eve. Number one, she was made from the rib uh, that was taken from Adam. And number two, she ate the fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat, and mankind became sinners destined to die. That's the story. Where did she come from? Well, Adam fell asleep, took his rib, God made woman. Well, what was her life all about? She ate some fruit. She wasn't supposed to eat it. And because she ate it, everybody dies. We know sick people right now who are only sick because she ate that fruit. Otherwise, we'd be healthy and we'd never die. Everybody that we've lost, everybody that we loved, every parent, every grandparent, every friend, whatever it is, it's all because she ate that fruit. That's the story of her life. Imagine if every woman here in this place this morning had your life story summed up by something that happened to you before you even had a say in the matter and by the worst thing you ever did in your life. That's Eve's story, isn't it? It happened to her before she had any say. She was taken and created from this rib, and then the worst thing she ever did in her life was eat this fruit, and that's her story. The sad thing is that that's actually the case for a lot of women. The only difference is, instead of only looking at the very worst thing that you ever did in your whole life, we have a collection of all the bad things you've ever done in your life, and that's how your story is summed up. The things that have happened to you, and then all the bad decisions that you've made over the course of your life. It's terrible. Women do this to themselves. Then women do this to each other, and then men do this to women as well. Sum you up by a couple of events in your life. I can see why men do that. I can kind of understand why women do it to each other, but man, it's, it's very difficult for me to, to think about uh, women sitting there and doing this to yourselves. What story is the real story about you? So let's look at what happened to Eve. Created from the rib, taken from Adam, brought to Adam without any say in the situation, right? She didn't get to say, I would like to be made this way. I'd like to be created that way. I'd like to have a say in who I get brought to. I'd like to have a say in when I get brought to that person. She had no say in any of that. One of the biggest issues for women, if you ask me, even today, is feeling like they're trapped where they have no say in the situation about the things that are happening to them. I have to be here. I have to do this. 
I don't have a say in the situation. I'm told about where the box is that I'm supposed to fit in. There are only two ways to really look at uh, this situation for a woman. You can fight to rewrite it the way that you want to, or you can look for the hidden story within that story. I listened to a radio broadcast this week from women who were raped and had children as a result of that rape. And then there were also women who were the children from mothers who were raped. Right? So I'm listening, there was a three-part series, and every woman on there, it's a Christian broadcast, but every woman on there had either been raped and had a child because of that, because of that rape, or they grew up and later on found out that they were the child uh, produced from their mother being raped. So for the most part, I was just kind of lost for words and, and hurting as I'm listening to, to these stories. But then I realized that each of these particular women had not chosen to rewrite their own stories. Think about this and listen for a second. Like every other woman in this room, if anybody has kind of this right to rewrite your story, they could have, but each one of them had not chosen to rewrite their story and to recreate their story and to make it something different or to find something within it that could produce for themselves what they really wanted in life. What they all decided to do, one after the next, after the next, after the next, is say, we're going to look to God for his story about me. What is he saying? What is he writing? What is the, the, the vision? What is, what is it that is happening? And I'm not going to just rewrite it on my own. I'm going to look to God. I could hear it in their voices. I can listen to what they were saying. God had showed each of these women things that many, or I might say most women, will never see. He showed them things. They were talking about things. And as I listen to women, and as I, as I know a lot of women, as I pastor a lot of women, counsel, whatever it is that we're doing as Mary and I as a couple, my own wife, listening to some of the things that these women were saying, I was like, man, God has showed them some things. So listen, the focus this morning isn't on rape. It's simply on who's writing the story that you are reading as women. These women were reading a story that God was writing, but I think most women are reading the story that they're writing. Back to Genesis 2.21. Listen to the story again. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is like the P.T. Barnum story. It's about man, right? A man took a nap. A man lost a rib. A man had surgery. A man woke up. When he woke up, the man had a woman brought to him by God. A man made a declaration about who this woman was, and then a man named the woman. That's the story we read. Her story within that story is the treasure. But it's not easy to see. How many women have tried to rewrite that story rather than focusing on the true author of the whole story? That's a frustrating story for women. Like right now, I think it might have been yesterday, like there's these women's movements, there's these women's marches, and, and praise God. But a lot of that is because of how frustrating this story is to women. 
We feel like it's worthy of rewriting. Wouldn't we like to have been created at the same time? Does it mean that she's less valuable because she was created second? Does it mean that she has less worth because she came from man? So I always think about what's not said in this story. How long did it take God to make her? I think that matters. I mean, God's a, a great God. He's amazing. He's a creator. He said, let there be light, and there was light. But it doesn't say here, you know, did it take five minutes? Was it just a word? Did he spend hours? Did he spend days shaping her, forming her, his idea of her, what he wanted her to be? why she was going to be unique, why she was going to be different, why she was going to be the, the, the opposite of man, but the completion of man. What they talk about before he brought her to Adam. Did he create her and then before she, she just took her first breath and all of a sudden she was there with Adam? Or did he create her and did, did they maybe spend some time together, just God and this woman? How much time? Was it a day? Was it a week? Was it a year? The Bible says that, that uh, it's like a breath, a year. 10,000 years. It's like a minute for the Lord. How long did he spend with Eve? Do you even care as women? Do we care as men? Or are we already rewriting the story because we're so frustrated with what we think we see? What did he talk to her about before he brought her to Adam? I wonder if God prepared her to be led and to be covered by this man that he was leading and covering. The God I know, I believe that that's what took place. Like, look, I'm about to take you to this guy and, and he's not gonna be great. <laughs> but I'll prepare you for that. <laughs> like, listen, the whole reason I created you is because he's not complete without you and this world is not complete without you. Man, I've got plans for you. Man, what a treasure of a story. But we're already rewriting some other stuff. Haven't even considered what he wrote and why he wrote it and why he did it that way and what a treasure it is. Because you won't look in past his story to her story. Her story is a wonderful one. Your story is a wonderful one. But sadly, most women have never read it and they won't go seeking and searching for that treasure. The story he's writing for you is much better than the story you would write for yourself. But here's the thing. We talked about being secluded. God has to get you alone. Alone is the place that most women fear the most. <laughs> Listen to that. God has to get you alone, but alone is the place you fear the most and you don't want to go. He didn't create Eve right there with Adam. He went off, left him sleeping, and he went and did some stuff alone with Eve. You got to get alone with God. I had a picture of what being alone has become in the life of women today. It's a place of fear and abandonment and helplessness. When a woman's alone, they're afraid, or afraid to be alone, depending on how you want to look at it. There's this feeling of abandonment, the people who are supposed to love me are literally not here. I don't have anybody. And if it's not the kids that I'm responsible for, nobody is pursuing me. Abandonment and then helplessness. No strength or no power to change that situation or that circumstance. 
Isn't that the direct opposite of what it originally was when God created Eve? There was no abandonment. There was no helplessness. There was no fear. Alone with God was literally the best place you could be as a woman. And now it's the last place we want to be as women. It's crazy. Being alone with the Lord is not like being alone any other time in your life or being alone with any other person in your life, women. So let's go on. Number one, being secluded, being alone with the Lord. Man, read past the history and get into her story and figure out what your story is. And you can't do that if your focus is elsewhere. You've got to get alone with the Lord. Number two, being secluded. Number two is being seen. Being seen. How many women feel like they go through their lives and nobody sees them? They go through their jobs and nobody sees you. You go to family events and nobody really sees you. You can live and raise families and kids and do all that stuff and nobody saw you. Not even a blip on the radar of what's going on in the world. So many of us have heard this story of of Esther or we've seen the movie One Night with the King. I'm going to read a little bit of the story. We pick it up where King Xerxes, he had a wife named Vashti. And she was literally trying to rewrite her story. The king says, call the queen Vashti to come. She says, no, I'm going to rewrite my story. I'm not going just because he called. I'm woman. Hear me roar. (laughs) So she didn't go. And she ends up losing everything as she's trying to rewrite her story. This is Esther chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after these things, when the wrath of King Xerxes subsided... And and he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women. And let beauty preparations be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. In Shushan the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured when Jeconiah, the king of Judah, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and carried away. Activity um, by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The beautiful women were taken, just like the, the uh, wise young men were taken from the children of Israel. And Esther gets taken into the king's house to see if she might be good enough to come before him. <clears throat> Verse 8 
So it was when the king's command decree were heard, or excuse me, Esther was also taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her people or her family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for women, for thus were the days of their preparation appointed, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So she comes into the house with all the women. She finds favor and he says, everybody gets a portion of beautifying stuff, but we really like you, Esther. We're going to give you seven times as much. You get everything you want. We really like you. We're going to get you out of these barracks. We're going to put you in the nice place with seven servants to take care of you. And then for a year, she's washing and bathing and perfuming to come in before the king. I'm not even going to say what I was going to say right now. Get myself in trouble. Verse 13. Each woman went into the king. She was, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called, her, called for her by name. Say name. name. All the women, after a year, they go in and see the king. They bring something with them. If he likes them, they might get to see him again. But either way, they go into a second house, and that's for the concubines. You might not be special, but you'll hang out with the, the B team. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, had advised. Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Xerxes into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. Stop there, verse 18. Right? What an amazing story. This woman from nowhere rises to the top. She stands above all the other women. She's crowned as queen. And then they have a feast for Queen Esther. Everybody gets gifts in the city like, you're the best. You're the best, babe. Like, that's what, that's what we want, right? I'm chosen. I'm the best. I'm valued. I prepared myself everything. When we usually read this story, we talk about preparing to come before the king. And we look at God and we say, look, we can't just show up. We got to prepare to go before the king. We talk about the wisdom about finding out what the king likes. All these other people are taking gifts. What do they think the nicest thing is in the quarters? And they're going to go before the king and say, look what I brought. 
But Esther had a little bit more wisdom. She says to Haggai, you're his servant. You know him better than I do. What would he like? What should I take? You tell me, Haggai. So we talk about these things, preparing and wisdom and all that kind of stuff. Positioning yourself to be chosen by the king. So in this story, it turns out to be the will of God that Esther's chosen. Later on, she saves Israel, right? They're, they're already captive. They were going to be killed. But because Esther's queen, when Xerxes gets ready to kill all these Jews, she says, hey, those are my people. And she saves them, literally saves the whole nation. But I want to ask you to think about a couple things with this story. As women, isn't this actually the kind of thinking and behavior that has so many women lost in this world? Let me prepare myself to be chosen by a man. Let me not consider who I am. Let me just focus on who he wants me to be, what he wants me to look like, what he wants me to smell like, how I have to prepare to come into his presence. It doesn't matter that he has thousands of wives. It doesn't matter that he has concubines. I just want to be chosen and elevated above others. Number two is to be seen, right? Secluded first and then to be seen. I challenge you to think about this. I don't believe King Xerxes really saw her. He saw this physical reflection of a woman, but she was wearing what he wanted to see her wear, and she was smelling how he wanted to smell her, but I don't think he really saw her. He didn't ask for her story. Just parade her in front of me, make her what I want her to be, what I want to see, what I want to smell, what I want to hear. Her story is not important. Adam may have made the same mistake with Eve because it doesn't say, that's why I said he may have made the same mistake, but man, I wonder if Adam was like, hey God, what's her story? Like, I'm grateful she's here, and thank you for bringing her, but man, a simple question about her story is so important, isn't it? But what about you ladies who are here this morning? Personally, I think Esther was just as responsible for what King Xerxes saw as he was. He's a man. He knew what he wanted. He knew what he was looking for. He knew how he wanted it, when he wanted it, where he wanted it. But she's just as responsible for what he saw. When a woman shifts her focus to being seen how others want her to be seen, she grows further and further from ever really being seen by God it becomes harder and harder to truly be exposed. If you're gonna focus on how others wanna see you and where you need to be positioned, you think to get what you want and what it is that you're gonna put on that others can see, you get further and further from ever being able to say, God, here I really am exposed. See me. That's the world we live in. And that's what most women are doing. Listen to Esther 2, verse 7. It said, Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. Xerxes saw Esther, but it was Hadassah that was standing before him. See, they 
could change what she looked like and smelled like, and they could change her name, and then she could parade herself in front of the king or anybody else that way, but that's not who she really was. And that's not who was seen. This isn't one night with the king. It's one night with the boy who wasn't really ready to see a woman truly exposed and able to tell her story. Look, my name is Hadassah, and I'm a Jew. I'm not Esther, and this ain't how I really look, and this ain't how I really smell, and this ain't how I really live in a palace with seven servants. That's what you want to see, but that's not me. I want to give you women this morning a word of practicality, something that you can actually use and implement in your lives, hopefully. Number one, it's four parts. Number one is don't show the world, or specifically men, don't show them Esther. She really is of no value. That's a facade. That's not a real person. That's not a reality. And most women who, who come to realize that is that when you've been showing somebody Esther for a long time, like it's hard to be Esther for the rest of your life. It's hard to be Esther for the rest of your life. Don't show them Esther. Number two, practically, Hadassah is worthy of telling her story. Like, your story matters. For King Xerxes, he didn't care about her story. He didn't want to hear her story. He just wanted to look at her, blah, 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 whatever. But like, man, we don't even know a lot about Hadassah's story. What we know is she lost both of her parents, right? We know that she was beautiful. We know that she got taken into captivity and slavery. We know that she got thrown into the king's harem of women. She excelled. And then she saves the nation. Like, her story is valuable. Your story is valuable. You know, there's a lot of people here. I don't know your story. Man, tell somebody your story, the story of Hadassah. Number three, Hadassah has a maiden, maiden name. <laughs> that she can only find when she stands fully seen and exposed before God. If you think back to, to Adam and Eve, God does whatever he does with Eve, and he brings her to Adam, and then Adam says, man, she's mine. She was taken from my rib. Her name is, is woman. Her name is Eve, the beginning, the first one, which is cool. You know, Adam, you named her. But I can guarantee you this. God had a name for Eve before Adam named her. Amen. That's her maiden, maiden name. Amen. See, I, I think it's funny in our society, when somebody gets married, you take on your husband's name and you lose your maiden name. And sometimes women don't want to do that. <laughs> so they end up with multiple last names <laughs> and hyphenations. Why? Because they're afraid of losing their identity. I want to rewrite the story. I wor I'm worth something. I'm valuable. What do you mean I lived a whole life and then this particular day because I say I do, that name is gone and I take on his name? Oh, I got to rewrite that. See, but if a woman understood that, look, I'm bringing you to him. He's going to cover you and lead you, but I'm covering him and leading him. So it doesn't matter if he calls you woman or if he calls you Eve. What I've called you when you're exposed and seen by me before that, that can never be taken from you. It can never be taken from you. Your maiden, maiden name was given to you from me. 
But we're rewriting a story and we're focused in areas that we shouldn't be focused on. So don't show a master. Hadassah's story is worthy of being told. She has a maiden maiden name. And the last one is, be wise and virtuous in how you make a man out of the boys in your life. As you begin to see these things, I don't expect you to go home today and be like, I ain't Esther. I'm Hadassah. You better recognize I got a name. My daddy named me. You ain't nobody. That's not wise. That's not virtuous. You do have to make a man out of the boys in your life. But do it with some wisdom. Do it with some patience. Do it by going back to your father in heaven and saying, hey, I was kind of quick to start rewriting my own story. What were you saying again about who he is and why you chose him and why you put me under him and why I was, I was made second? I, I, I was in a rush to rewrite the story because I didn't like the way it looked. But can we talk again, God? Can you see me? Can, you, can I be exposed before you so that you can tell me her story? And then maybe you might even tell me how to get this boy to become a man, which is why you brought me into this place to begin with. Man, do it with some virtue. Do it with some wisdom. I've watched a lot of women, when they start to realize this stuff, like, you know what? Dang, I have worth. I have value. My father knows my name. I've watched them blast men when that's not why God showed you those things. I've watched them push men further away from God when that's not why God showed you those things. Number one, being secluded. Number two, being seen. Don't be Esther, be Hadassah. Let the Lord see you. Number three, being surrendered. Being surrendered. Luke chapter one, verse five. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all his commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, that his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and she, or excuse me, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife, she old too. <laughs> he actually said, I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. See, that's wisdom. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you to bring these glad tidings. On Wednesday night, we talked about angels. Yeah. If one does show up, don't be talking back like Zacharias was right here. He was like, don't you know who I am? 
I stand in the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So we're talking about being surrendered, but before I get into that, look at her story hidden within his story. She's not, she's not really focused at all on here. It's about Zacharias, who's the priest, going in. Then they talk a bunch about the son that they're going to have and how his prayers were heard and how she's going to get pregnant and all these things are going to happen. Nobody asked her. (laughs) Nobody's even talking to her. She didn't know any of these things were taking place or were going to happen. Being surrendered, women, is not the same as giving up. One of the challenges I also believe that a lot of women have is they they feel like if we surrender, it's like waving the white flag and saying, I just give up. I don't even care anymore. (laughs) And a lot of women fight against that because like, I'm not going to give up. God is not telling you to give up. He's telling you to surrender. It's not the same thing. Elizabeth did not have the life that she wanted or that she desired. She was a reproach, it says, because she was barren and she couldn't have kids. The things that she felt like maybe she deserved and the way that maybe she treated people, the desires of her heart, it didn't actually happen for her. Verse 6 says this, though. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. She didn't lash out or act out because of her difficulties. She remained faithful. She just surrendered to the Lord. Like, look. I'm hot, I'm upset, I'm frustrated. And on top of all that, it's not like I'm just mad about these things and I don't have the pressures of the world on me. I'm mad about these things and the world is pressuring me and telling me that I'm not valuable and I'm not worth anything and that it's all my fault and all the bad things that have happened to me and my family is because I'm barren. That's a lot to deal with. But she was surrendered to the Lord and she still served God. She encouraged her husband to serve the Lord and to serve others in the church, even though she had needs that weren't met. Most women will serve the Lord if the Lord is serving them. If the Lord is meeting your needs, blessing your kids, blessing your relationship, a lot of women, they have that heart, they'll serve God. It's much more difficult when you have a long list of needs that are not being met to say, God, I'm still going to be faithful. And I'm still going to be used to serve others, even though I have needs that need to be met. I'm still going to say, look, husband, you go serve those other husbands and wives that have families and kids, even though we don't have any. That's hard to do. You have to be surrendered to the will of God. But that's hidden. Her story is hidden in this story. You got to read it and you got to think about what it means to be a woman. What it must have been like for Elizabeth when this happened. How many years she had to endure her mind playing tricks on her and her heart being broken. 
The great thing about surrendering her story to the Lord is that when he's writing the story, you never know when it's over. So many women have written their own stories and they've written the words at the end. (laughs) And then they live as if it's over. Verse 24 and 25 said, After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. He came and he rewrote the story. He changed everything for her, even though it was much later on than she had expected. She could have been a woman that 10 years before, 20 years before, 30 years before wrote the end and lived bitter and didn't love God or serve God or surrender to God, but she didn't. She let him write the story, and at the end, it was better than anything she could have imagined. She has the son of all sons. Jesus said, of those born of women, there's never been one like John the Baptist. You think your kids are great? (laughs) Number one, being secluded. Number two, being seen. Number three, being surrendered. Let God write your story. Listen to Hebrews 12.1. Now I'll get to number four. Hebrews 12.1 says, we, are, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? These witnesses are like the testimony you heard from the Jorkeses this morning. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Right? Because we see God moving, we see his hand. Let's lay aside these weights of our barrenness. Let's lay aside these weights of our frustration. Let's lay aside these weights of how we're looked at by the world. Let's lay aside the sin that we want to pursue to make us feel better about ourselves. And then he says, let's run with endurance. And then he says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, yet he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author and finisher. Let him write your story. Be surrendered to him and let him write your story. And then he says this, even Jesus despised the shame that he experienced, but he endured. He kept the faith. He loved the Lord. If you're one of the women here this morning who despised the shame, in whatever area of your life it is, man, just endure. Trust God. Let him keep writing the story. He's much better author than you are. The last one is be strong. Being secluded, being seen, being surrendered, and being strong. There is a strength within women that often exceeds the strength of men. I'm not just saying that to get brownie points from my wife. It's the truth. You guys are strong. Very, very strong. In many ways, much stronger than men. Even you read these stories about women like lifting cars, physically lifting cars off of their kids. Like there's a strength within you that was placed there by God that you have to tap into. Last story, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and see, 
I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God of Israel, or for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This story is about the strength of a woman in her times of greatest need and greatest weakness. I don't think it would have went so well if this was a story about a man. The man wouldn't even been thinking about his little boy. They might look, man, there's only one piece of cake. Listen to this woman. Strength is not always what we like to think of strength as. There's a strength again within women that is special. Let me tell you the, one of the definitions for, for strength that I found that I really like. Strength, power, force, might suggests a capacity to do something. Strength is, in, is inherent capacity to manifest energy, to endure, and to resist. Power is capacity to do work and to act. Force is the exercise of power. One has the power to do something. She, it says he, but we're going to change it. <laughs> One has the power to do something. She exerts force when she actually does it. She has sufficient strength to complete it. And might is the power of strength in a great or overwhelming degree, as in the might of an army. So you have power within you as a woman to do something. It says that force is what you actually do. Like in you, you, can, you have power to push this thing over, right? It's in you as a woman. Then it says when you apply force, when you actually use what's in you and you exert force on it, that that's your force, right? Then it says that you have sufficient strength to complete it. So when we say that you're a strong woman, what that means is there's something in you that when you actually use it, you show strength by bringing it to completion when it's already pushed over to the floor. Being strong has a lot to do with sustainability and enduring to the end, even when everything you love and care about is on the line. Amen. Within this woman, there was a strength, there was a power to say, I trust God enough to be obedient right now. My spirit or my flesh, excuse me, my flesh is saying, take care of your boy. My flesh is saying, eat your last meal and die. My spirit is saying there's power in you to even though it doesn't seem like the best thing to do, even though I'm broke and I don't want to tithe, even though I know I'm right and I don't want to apologize, even when I know that, that there's something God possibly could do and I don't want to do it. Real strength is to be able to do those things. Women, it's in you. Enduring even to the end. 
everything she loved, everything she cared about was on the line, and that's when you see the most strength in her life. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. When you as a woman want to really, really be strong and show your strength, right? It doesn't matter if you have it in you and you never show it. Let me say that again. As a woman, it doesn't matter if it's in you and you never show it. You got to use the force and you, not the force, like. (laughs) It's in you, but you have to actually use it and you have to see the, the task completed to be able to say, I am a strong woman. And it's not how the world tells you to be a strong woman. It's how God tells you to be a strong woman. This woman in today's world would be ridiculed. She would be shamed. She would be saying, you're no woman. You ain't 31 status. That ain't the kind of woman I want to be. Well, what kind of woman do you want to be? What kind of strength do you want to show? What kind of display of womanhood do you want to put out there for the world when you communicate with the men in your life, when you communicate with other women in your life, when you communicate with your children? Like, please have your perspective on what it means to be a woman and what it means to have strength change this morning. Worship team, would you come? Women, number one was to be secluded. We live in a very busy world, and it's hard for you to find time to be alone, but you got to find time to be alone with the Lord. If you can't get with him, if you can't get some space, if you can't find a closet, if you can't come to a a Friday night prayer service, it's going to be very difficult for you. Got to find time to be alone with the Lord. He loves you and he'll make time for you. He's always really really ready and willing and available. This, This week, I think it was either Friday or Thasday. Mary and I were on the phone. I was at work and then and then we hung up. And usually I'm always kind of pursuing her. I call her like 10 times a day. So we hang up the phone and my phone literally rings 10 seconds later and it's her. So I think it's like an accident. Like she must have left her phone on and accidentally pushed the button because I'm the one usually bugging her. She says, hey, I forgot to tell you something. I said, what? She said, I heard the voice of God this morning. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, I was sleeping and I heard a voice, a strong bass voice. It said, Mary. And then she said, she woke up and she started looking for me like, is Vaughn still here? He's not at work. And then she said, right then she knew it was God. She heard his voice audibly. He was speaking to her. And you know where she was? She was alone. I wasn't there. And the kids were not in the room. God's saying, look, I'll speak to you, but you got to be alone with me. Even if I have to wake you up out of your sleep, I want to talk to you. Stop pursuing conversations with other people. And start pursuing some conversations with your maker. Be secluded with him. It doesn't matter what a woman looks like. 99.9% of the time, what I've experienced is that women are afraid to be seen. Just afraid to really be seen. Spend a lot of time trying to put Esther out there when Hadassah is being just pushed further and further down until non-existence. You're worthy of being seen. You deserve to be seen. God made you to be seen. God wants to see you. Man, what a, what a, what a lie that the world has told you, women, 
that the goal is to live and die and never really be seen. Surrender. As a woman, I pray that you can begin to see the difference between surrendering and giving up. Placing everything into God's hands is not the same as, again, waving a white flag and saying, I just don't care anymore. You care more than ever before. So much so that you'll put your life into the hands of the only one who can really fulfill it. Surrender is a hard thing to do. You rarely see people actually surrender. We'll do a freeway chase. We'll go out in a blaze of glory. We'll do everything before we really surrender. We think it's weak when you see somebody say, I just give up. I surrender. Man, I'm praying for you women that you'd give it to God. You're not giving it to the men in your life. You're not giving it to whoever else you think. Just give it to God. Find a way to give it to God. And the last one, your strength. God says it's made perfect in your weakness. His strength is made perfect within you when you're able to be weak. The strongest women I know are not the loudest. They're not the ones at the front lines of every fight. They're not the ones shouting for certain things. The strongest women I know are the ones that just have this thing with God and it's like, man, it's in there. They're not the ones at the gym wearing nothing. They're the ones at the gym like with sweatpants on and a sweatshirt on like, I'm here for strength. I'm not here for a show. I'm here for Hadassah. I'm not here to be Esther. So what I want to do this morning, first is just for, uh, for quickly for salvation. Anybody here not saved and want to be saved, this Jesus talk is like, a little bit foreign. Anybody not saved want to give your life to the Lord this morning? Amen. I want to pray for the women. <clears throat> we talked about coming of age, and that's what this series is about. It's about her story, which is really your story. We said the subtitle was, What Has Happened to Her? As you think about your life, What's the story that's being told? What's the story that's being written? Think about you as a woman. Would you just bow your head? Would you just close your eyes for just a second and think about your story and just think, is it a story of the magnificent power of God, the worth and the value that you feel since you came into relationship with him, this time where you're always alone with him in that secret place, the same way that he took Eve off to the side and he was with her, is it this strength that in the, time, uh, the hardest times of your life, when everything's on the line, you find a strength within you that you did not know was there because God lives inside of you? Is it a story of like Esther where you could say, it doesn't matter what the world sees and no, I'm not Esther. My name is Hadassah. I want to be seen by those that I'm in relationship and friendship with as Hadassah. And even beyond that, do you have a maiden, maiden name that you hear the Lord call you out of your sleep and call you by that name? If that's not the story, it's a hidden treasure. And you got to dig for it. You can't do both. 
You can't rewrite your story and put another story out there for the world to see and at the same time be digging for the hidden treasure, which is your real story written by God. You have to make a choice as to which story it's going to be. Who's going to write it? So in our spirit of coming of age, you got to make an adult decision as women here this morning as to what it's going to be. So if you're here and something in this message has ministered to you and you feel like there's something you desire from God, something that's maybe not quite right, something further you need to go into, would you come forward this morning? Hallelujah, Lord. <clears throat> Man, he's got a good story for you, ladies. It's a hidden treasure. It's all yours. You don't need a man to help you dig it up. You don't need children to help you find worth or value. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Ladies, you guys can come on this side. There's some room over here. Come on down. Amen. Praise God. And 16. Anybody else before we shift? 16. Amen. I see you, sis. 17. Thank God for the last call. 18. Praise the Lord. Keep them coming. Praise the Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got a song. Even though I called the worship team, I'm going to release you guys in just a second. You can keep playing. But uh, any of the men who are sitting down, would you just grab a chair and bring it up here for these women? Hurry, men, get up, get up, get up. Grab a chair. They're kind of connected. Grab a chair. And every lady, I want you just to take, take a seat. Take a seat right down here at the altar. Make sure they all got one. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So ladies, Mary, it's okay. You don't have to be strong, girl. There's Somebody will get a chair for you. Come up here. We'll find one for you. These young men got one over here. Hey, Amen. You've all got one. So ladies, this picture up here says history is the study of past events, the things that are behind you. But her story is the reclaiming of future events. Man, we heard testimonies of the good things that God has already done in 2017, but at the end of the day, it's history. There's some things that I believe God is going to allow you guys to reclaim. Your future is going to be brighter. Your future is going to be better. The voice of your Father in heaven, the name that he calls you, you're going to experience amazing things moving forward. This song that I'm going to have played for you guys, I really want you just to listen to the words, and I want you to have this time with God. Uh, the song is called, I Am No Victim, and I'm the woman. <laughs> but for the last couple of weeks, for whatever reason, I just keep playing it and keep playing and keep playing it. And then as this message was developing, I was like, man, it's not for me. It's for you guys. It's for you guys. 
God has some things that he wants to say to you and some things that he wants to place in you and some things that he wants to literally reclaim that he put in there. The same way that he went aside with Eve, I'm telling you right now, listen, it's not necessarily something that he has to just impart and implant into your life. In many ways, I believe that it's things that are already there. You're whole in Christ. You're not missing anything this morning. In Christ, you are whole. He made you a whole woman. He just wants to show you so you can reclaim some of these things that belong to you. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to release everybody. Everybody's welcome. welcome to stay in the sanctuary. But for the women who are down here, out of respect and honor for them, if you want to talk, if you want to fellowship, we're going to leave the sanctuary and just let them have this time. You guys stay as long as you need to. It can be a minute. It can be 10 minutes, whatever it is. It can be 20 minutes. But this time is for you and, uh, and your God. So, Lord, I thank you for these women. I thank you that you created women. I thank you that they have a name that you gave them, Lord God. I pray against anything that would uh, distract them. I pray against anything that would, would cause them to feel this need to rewrite their own story, Lord. As a man in this world, I repent before you, Lord God, for, for being part of this system that has devalued them, Lord God. That has caused them to live in fear, Lord, when they're supposed to be able to trust men, Lord God, that many of them cannot, Lord. When they're supposed to be part of a nucleus and a family, Lord, that is enriched and encouraged and strong, Lord, that they have to carry the load oftentimes of men and women, Lord God. I thank you that you already knew in advance, though. This was no surprise to you. The same way that you went off with Eve and you prepared her for the world that she was going to live in, Lord, I pray that you would go off with these women and prepare them for the world that they live in, Lord God. Give them the strength not to rewrite their own story, but to dig for the treasure that is the story that you've already written for them, Lord God. Have your way over them. Bless them and encourage them. Let it be overflowing. Let every testimony be the testimony of a heart that has grown twice the size and is overflowing with love, as we heard from one of your daughters this morning, Lord God. We love you. We love them. We want to be able to love them better, Lord God, but we want their wholeness and their completeness not to be contingent upon the love of others, but on an understanding of your love for them, Lord God. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.